Bible this morning, go with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, is what we'll start. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I don't know if you just went up like that. I was out in uh, Iowa for a few little churches. I kept bothering me. This was four or five years ago. I kept bothering me because every night I'm noticing people are playing on their phones while I'm praying for them. About the third night, I said, on here. I said, how many of you are reading the Word with me on your phone? So we went out all through the room. <laughs> Good. Keep them out. <laughs> Just turn off the ringer. <laughs> uh, that's dirty. Other stories I could tell you. I was in one church where, you know, often, a lot of the time I'm noticing that my phone rings while I pray to you. But this time it was the pastor. You hang out a minute in the middle of service. And then I preach you. And he's like, Pete, you're right. It's like, you hold on a minute. I'll talk to you. I don't get out of the building. <laughs> Matthew 5. About Mark. Don't go to Matthew. Don't do it. Gordon, faith, and Mark. If I, if I struggle a little today, I've got new bifocals and I'm trying to do this thing where I look through the top of you and the bottom of the room and I'm trying to make myself keep them on. This, this heading, how many of you have the New International Version? That's me and you. If you don't have the newest version of the NIV, the heading is most, I don't know, it's just a hideous headline. It says, a dead girl does anybody have that here? That's horrible. I don't want to be angry. But by the way, I have the latest version, the latest update of the NIV, and they changed it to Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. I'm so glad they caught that. <laughs> because I want to talk to you this morning about several things that seem to wrap and I can't talk this morning. So wrap in this is hope. And it's like the most hopeless statement in the world, these editors just throwing a dead girl and a sick woman. And I'm like, this, this is not about a dead girl or a sick woman. This is about the power of God to save a circumstance. So when Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came in. When he saw Jesus, he, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and she'll live. And I think I may have talked to you about this in years past. I don't know. Not that I truly remember anything I've ever told you. This is a frightening story. And it's not, this is not a parable. It's 
not one of the stories that Jesus told to make a point. This is a story that was told by Mark that really happened to Jesus. It really took place. It really was a guy that was dating a dyke. And really placed this home where a husband and his wife and at least one little girl, 12 years old, little girl is so sick that they all know she's dying. There, there you know, this dad knows what my daughter has is permanent. And that day, could have been a common cold the next day. But it just got worse. Could have been an infection. It could have been any disease that was rampant. We had no idea. What I want you to capture is that this is a physical story. Not a fairy tale, a real life story. You see, every day, you and I are living a story, aren't we? We don't think of it that way. You, you don't call it your life story, you just call it life. Is what I do. In fact, most of you, most of us, can't really underestimate. And in the sense that your rich deal would make you arrogant or proud, so you probably couldn't put you all there. But really, I'm no better. This goes back to the very thing I talked about in the song when I said I can see you as a person of truth. Do you see it that way, Once in a while, I know I'm taking off the table. Once in a while, is that I'm, I'm just doing right. And once in a while, God jumps in the middle of it and does something in a class, and then starts to jump back out and I go, I don't know.
think to myself, whoa, this is good enough for me. That's all we talk about here, right? Hey, go and walk that way. Listen to this. Jairus, his name. Well, before I tell you what his name means, let's tell you what he did. Jairus is the father of the local synagogue, wherever this is. Possibly Capernaum. We're not certain what town it is. So he is the leader of the synagogue in his town. Now, what it means to be the leader of the synagogue, it wouldn't be like today we say, well, that might be equal to pastor. No, it probably wasn't. Jairus was probably a lay person. He probably had some other career, but he would have been more like the chairman of the board, or he would have been the overseer. And they probably didn't have a position that was like a permanent pastor. It would have been more, he would have been the guy who scheduled the, the rabbis, and there were an abundance of rabbis who were teachers of the word, but he would schedule them depending on the seat at this local synagogue. And he would oversee even to make sure the buildings and grounds were taken care of. He was, a, he, was, he was a pretty important guy, but you didn't get to be, it was also a status symbol. It was a big deal to be called the leader of the synagogue. That was, that was a status in the community. And you had to know the right people, and you had to be affiliated properly with senior synagogue leaders. So, probably, it's a pretty good shot that Jairus was a wealthy man. And secondly, Jairus was a devoutly religious man, probably, probably a Pharisee. I mean, that, that's what he was. That would have been the sect of the Jewish imagery of which he affiliated. It's not like you guys would say, we're Westerns, and others might say, well, we're Baptists, we're Lutherans. They, they, they didn't have their own churches, but there were people who adhered to a certain doctrine, and the Pharisees were actually good guys. They believed a lot of really good things. They believed in Jesus. They believed in an afterlife. They believed that there was a Messiah that was going to come. The problem, the problem was, by the point we are in this story, by this point in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees, who call themselves as the, the great defenders of the Jewish had decided that Jesus was not the Messiah. And that because he wasn't the Messiah, he was a heretic. He was lying. And he was dangerous to the faith. By this point, the Pharisees had decided that when he says, I am the Son of God, when he says, when Jesus says, I'm the one you're looking for, when Jesus says, I have a kingdom you know nothing about, when Jesus says, I am the Father I want, when Jesus says such outrageous things as, let's keep my Christ and let him go They were so angry they were asking Pharisees despised the Jews. And so the more his popularity rose among the people, and the greater the intensity of his teaching, the deeper he went into convincing. By the time you get into to John 14 and John 17, and you get into the passages where he's explicit about his divinity and about his purpose and about his kingdom, 
these guys are raging and they're going to kill us. Because Jairus' daughter is going to die. Uh, I, I think the prayer would be disgusting. It's really sad. Which, by the way, I wanted to pause and say that's unique in Middle Eastern culture that day because Jairus isn't pleading for the life of his son. He's pleading for the life of his daughter. Say that in any way to be offensive. That's the culture. The daughters were second class. So this is a really, really special guy. This guy, he is he's exceptional. Because here's what you have. You have a guy who is going to go against the culture and say, My daughter's life is worth saving. He's going to go against the most influential people in his life, his own religious party, that he is not just a member of a party, he's a leader in it. He is the organizer and director of a local synagogue in that organization. This guy is turning. He is saying, when I do this, he looks at his wife and says, Honey, when I go to meet that Jesus guy, I'm telling you right now, I am untied. I'm going to lose my position in the community. I'm done. I just want you to know that. But frankly, I don't care. My question is, what would cause a man to do that? It's more life. It's more. It's more than just my daughter's life. Right? More than that, because it has more not to do with the condition of the daughter. Ever, it, it, what he is about to do has everything to do with what he believes about Jesus. That's that's the key. I don't know how he knew it. I don't know. And we don't get that little insight. I wish we did. I'm telling you, the Bible says that. If everything that could be told about Jesus, that books couldn't contain it all. And I'm like, how do I know this stuff? I want to know, how did you know? Was it just on, based on the rumors? I'll just get to the end of the message. I grew up in skeptical culture of Jesus. I did. I grew up in, a, I grew up in the Western church. Listen to me, I'm not in any way being derogative of our heritage. We have many of us in this room have the same heritage, and I treasure that heritage. But I can tell you that I grew up in a culture that I never saw, I never saw the supernatural. Other than people being blessed with some great sudden cure, I never saw the miraculous happen in my family. I'm not saying that's too critical, but what I'm saying is I can remember believing that anybody who did probably wasn't supposed to do it. 
Christmas pictures and taking our eyes to focus from out of this world. And Jesus is doing stuff that nobody's seen before. Jesus touches people and they get healed. And he's going, why? He doesn't talk at Jesus anymore. He doesn't say, well, that can't be real. He says, his life, his doctrine says, Pharisaical doctrine said that the miraculous was possible. But Pharisees were not experiencing the miraculous. Boy, I get concerned about our churches that have a doctrine that says we believe the miraculous happened and we've never seen it before. Jolting statement several years ago now. I don't know if I can't remember who it was. But it started as a sample. It said, you know, there are only two groups of Christians that believe miracles will happen on a regular basis. Ready? Pentecostals and Catholics. Every Sunday, the Catholic Church believes a miracle happens every week. They believe. Actually, coming here today, I heard this. I didn't know this. Catholic churches have a special faith with a dry well that the excess wine from communion has to be poured in. It's a special faith that is poured down because they will not allow the blood of Christ to contain their fear. To convince or, or criticize that, I'm just saying our Pentecostal brethren believe in some miraculous things that they have. They believe if they pray for people, they're going to get it. Oh, awesome. Well, you feel it. I'll go on some faces. I go to the missionary church over there. I preach over there quite often. And I was like, hey, let's press this over. You got to make it. Okay, amen. Amen. Oh, my. Okay. To Jairus and his father and his Pharisee, it was a man of faith. Here's a guy who said, look, I don't care what they're saying about him. I don't know if he's the Messiah. I'm telling you right now, my daughter's died, and I'm going to him. He said, hey, watch this. He didn't say, I'm taking my daughter to the city so that the rabbis can pray over her. I can tell you, I believe some things now that I didn't believe 20 years ago. This is not the notes. I don't know if I told you this before or not. Ten years ago, my doctor did surgery on my knee. He said, you know, I think that's the best I can. It's a fine standard of what you need to have. And every day I woke up with a pain in my knee. 
Stomping through the woods, I literally stopped and thought, "Wait a minute! God really did heal you. He really did go in and do something that is miraculous and change the physiological structure of your ear." Okay, I guess it's too weird. Another way, you just like to say that.
think probably Jesus was very thankful. He didn't say a word. He just said, I can't believe it. My God is true. My God is true. He said, how do you know how that is? He said, I'm going to pray. And I think that was the end.
and he looks at the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah when he says that the Messiah was coming, he rise up and there will be healing in the What did they call the pastors of the rabbi's garment? Touched him and he was healed, and Jesus stops. Now, I don't know what you would do, but if I were Jairus, here's what happens the woman gets healed, and Jesus says, it says Jesus felt the power of love him, and he says, Wait a minute, somebody stops me. Who touched me? And nobody wants to answer. If I'm, if I'm about to blow that whoever you were, my God is dying. You're the one who was healed. Finally, after the woman, the woman speaks up. Now, you understand, none of this started with Jesus. It's all, it's cool. Jesus is just fine with it. The woman finally confesses. You understand why she's coming? This is really, this is something that's vital. This is something you certainly don't, as a, as a lady, you don't talk, you would never say that to a mother, to a man. And Jesus said, you said that to the Well, I think there's a lesson in that too. Not to confess it. Because she finally stopped the dark, and Jesus said, daughter, oh, that's a great thing to do. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? In the middle of Mark chapter 5, Jesus is hearing his daughters. The woman confesses and she says, I was the one that was healed. Jesus calls her a daughter and tells her she's healed and she's forgiven. Right then, the bearers of good news go. And they walked up in front of Jairus' house and said, Hey, this mother of God, you talk about an offensive thing. Your daughter's dead. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them. By the way, this is the first word Jesus in the record in the Bible. This is the first word Jesus even speaks to them. Jesus just heard it preached, started going with things like, I'm good, let's go do this thing. And he says to God, it's the same thing he wants to do to you, and this is the most impossible circumstance in your life. He says, Don't be afraid.
says, believe that I'm going to raise you from the dead. He didn't say, he's not really dead. He said, believe. What do you believe? I'm telling you right now, you need, you need to believe Jesus. You need to know what he says, and you need to know that you can believe him. know what the outcome is going to be. You need to know who holds the outcome. My wife and I talked about this yesterday. I said, my struggle with the past particularly, the struggle is that I don't know any 12-year-old girls that died from that very sexual life. The truth is, I know too many people who died that I wish they could have survived from the business. And so my history tells me the belief Circumstances, and even like Jesus himself prayed, but not my will, God is yours to get. I'm not getting God up to the but I don't know his reason for everything he does. I don't know why some people die and some people live, and you don't know either, but we don't get to know. And when they got to the house to the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now, you need to understand that this is tradition. This would have been people who were professional mourners because Jesus, another evidence of how powerful he was, is the more mourners you had, it meant the more important you were. And these women would stop and they would do this picking of the tongue and they'd and they yell and they would awful, horrible noises. And that noise and living from your house meant something horrendous had happened and you were really loved because those people were there. And Jesus just walks into this house and he says, Why all this commotion? And all this wailing. I think this is wailing about it. But what's what they said? The child is not dead. And I think one of the most significant verses in both of them is the last one. The last one. When you talk about skepticism, you talk about heresy. They actually put them all out. I love that next line. They're laughing. Ow. You guys are history. He took the child's father and mother, two people that believed. And the disciples who were with him were three. Five people, Jesus and five others. And they went into the child's residence, took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha, Talitha. Little girl, I say to you, I'm going to grab a red thing, and I'm going to drop this. 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 I'm going to
out of that field. He said, but he put it in front of Jesus, and Jesus said, get up and walk. Take your mat and get out of here. Can you put yourself there and say, please? No offense. I'm not worried about the little girl at this point. I'm a dad of the The word says that they just look for not that they are that selfish. Just don't be scared for a great deal. Now, somebody needs to say, You've got the story.